Thank you for tuning into the Apostolic Pentecostal Church podcast. You are currently listening to one of our iGrow series lessons. If you're in the Bloomington, Illinois area and want to sit in person, feel free to join us Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. for Bible study and Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. for worship in the Word. Can't make it in person? No big deal. Find us on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram and search Apostolic Pentecostal Church. Either way, we'd love to fellowship and worship with you. We hope to see you. So our topic tonight is of Moses. And it's kind of ironic because Moses was one of my favorite characters growing up. Um, when we went to my grandma and grandpa's house, you had three things to watch. Gaithers, Moses, or how to make bows. And I watched all three multiple times. Um, so anyway, we're going to get started. I am going to throw a lot of scriptures at you, um, but let's dive in. So in Deuteronomy 34, uh, starting at verse 10, the Bible says, And there arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. In all the signs and the wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh, and to his servants, and to his land. And in that mighty hand, and in the great terror which Moses shewed in the sight of all Israel. So, we're going to look at Moses, and he's perhaps one of the most important person in the Old Testament. Um, Moses represented Israel to God, and God to Israel. He was the mediator between the two. So tonight we're going to learn about Moses, and we're going to learn about God's people, and about God himself, so we're going to get started. A um, little bit of backstory. Um, the Hebrew people, they came to Egypt about 400 years before, um, after the fam famine, which uh, Jacob, um, renamed Israel, um, went with his family, um, with Joseph, his son being second in charge. The Israelites, they thrived. Um, during this time, God was fulfilling the promise to Abraham to make him the father of many nations. And that is found in Genesis 17, 4 through 7, and Exodus 1 and 7. So sadly, as time went on, um, Egypt's pharaohs, they forgot about who Joseph was and that he saved their land. And, and then he became intimidated by the amount of people and they... He was worried about the great strength of Hebrew, the Hebrews. And he was thinking if, if Egypt was to ever get attacked, the Israelites would probably go on their side and try to align with them and overthrow the Egyptians. So um, we're going to get to know a little bit more about Moses' family. His parents were Amram and Jacobin. Um, they were people of great faith. Uh, they were not intimidated by Pharaoh. Um, they knew Moses was a special baby, and they hid him for three months. I have a four-month-old. I cannot imagine trying to hide a baby. They are not quiet at all. So, but um, they did it, and Moses was most likely the third child in his family. Uh, Moses had a sister named Miriam, who was most likely the oldest um, in the family, she was instrumental in Moses' rescue and would eventually become a very important leader in Israel's future. 
And then Moses had an older brother, Aaron, who was about three years older than him. Um, we find that in Exodus 7, 7. And Aaron would also become a key leader in the nation of Israel after the captivity was over. Now, Moses was born into the tribe of Levi around 1526 BC in Egypt, which would eventually become the priestly tribe of the nation of Israel. And the Kohathites would eventually be placed over the Ark of the Covenant and all the furnitures and vessels connected to the sanctuary in the tabernacle of Moses. So that's just a little bit of a background. So as we can continue to read on, even after and you know after the Egyptians they enslaved the, the Israelites, uh, astrologers foretold about a man that would uh, would become Israel's deliverer. Um, this is kind of like a type and shadow, because if you think about it, they, the astrologers could have been talking about Jesus and not realizing it. Um, so, and it was at this time Pharaoh was like, you know what? Forget it. Um, I'm issuing a decree that all male children under the age of two would be killed. Um, but he um, he spoke. The Pharaoh spoke to Hebrew midwives. And this can be found in Exodus 1 and 15. Um, you know, he told him, you know, do your duties as a midwife. And if it's a son, then you kill him. But if it's a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. And they did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them. But saved the male children alive. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said, Why have you done this thing? And saved the male children alive. The midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are lively and give birth before the midwives can come. Therefore, God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very mightily. And so it was because the mere wives feared God that he provided households for them. So Pharaoh commanded all of his people, saying, Every son who is born unto you shall be cast into the river, and every daughter you shall Save alive. So I find it interesting because Satan not only failed once, but trying to kill them, he failed twice. Um, and as a result, the midwives they they were rewarded by God. But sadly, a lot of babies did perish. That makes me sad. So I'm not crying. Who knows? So, as Pharaoh's soldiers, they were carrying out their orders, orders to kill all of the male babies, Jacobed showed great faith and trust that God would protect her son. Imagine with me. Your child is three months old. You've been hiding and protecting him for three months, and now you can't. And if they find out, you could be dealt with as well. And um, so you've got to come up with a plan to save your child. You're going to do anything you can to save your child. So you decide to build a basket. Thank you, Sister Amy Ramey, for bringing that. And, you know, she took great patience, great care into molding this basket. She pitched it. She made sure the water could get in it. Um, she had to make sure it was as safe as it can be so she could put her most, most loving thing she could into the river. Uh, and this is also a type of child. God built the church. 
for us. And he wants us to get into the basket and he's doing everything he can. The church is doing everything they can to make sure you survive. But ultimately, life does happen. So, as a mom, I can't imagine putting my child in that basket. Just a little info about the Nile River. First of all, it's huge. It has over 30 different species of snakes. Half of them are venomous. They've got hippos, they got turtles, they got crocodiles. And you put your child in the basket and you send them down the Nile River and all you can really do is pray. You know, you don't know if it's going to be a snake, a hippo. You just like, God, just pray a protection over my child. And hopefully we see each other soon. See each other again. So she placed him in God's hands for his plan. And while her, while her brother was floating down the river, big sister Miriam followed him to see where he would end up. And lo and behold, I find it ironic that he ends up at Pharaoh's palace. The very person who's trying to kill these babies, he ends up at Pharaoh's palace. And it was at that time that the princess came down to the Nile River to bathe. And she saw the basket in the weeds and she sent her maid to retrieve it. And when she opened up, it was a baby. It was crying, probably hungry, probably scared to death. Mom's not around. And she knew it was a Hebrew. She goes, this must be the Hebrew child. And yet she showed love, she showed compassion, and she had a tender heart toward the crying baby. She didn't have to. Her dad was the pharaoh that was killing all of these babies. She didn't have to. She could have called for the soldiers to kill the baby, but she didn't. So while the baby was crying, Miriam approached the princess and asked, should I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? And of course the princess said yes and ended up paying his own mother to nurse and raise her own child. God just works in mysterious ways. The Bible says in Exodus 2 and 10 that when Moses was older, he returned to the palace. He was adopted and the princess named him Moses because she drew him out of the water. Moses was learned in all of the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds, according to Acts 7 and 22. At this time, the Lord determined that Moses should be taught in his earliest years by his own mother. Growing up hearing that I am that I am loves you. Because at this time, God didn't have a name. They just knew him. I am that I am. Or the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God didn't have a name at this point. So this meant he was founded in the faith of his fathers. Although he was reared as an Egyptian, he was being raised in the Egyptian court, he learned to read and write, ultimately equipping him later to write the first five books of the Bible. I'd say it paid off very well. So, after the birth of Moses, we were told nothing about his upbringing. There's a little bit of a pause, if you will. We didn't know whether Pharaoh knew his adopted grandson was a Hebrew, or whether Pharaoh's daughter eventually got married. But what we do know 
is that Moses knew who he was. He knew he was a Hebrew. So one day he decided to venture out and visit his people. And when he saw an Egyptian beating an Israelite, in that moment he became enraged, filled with anger, and he killed the Egyptian, buried him in the sand, and hoped that nobody saw. He went back to the palace, acted like nothing was wrong. The next day we find that he went out again, and he visited um, his people and came across two Hebrews fighting. And he looked at them and said, why are you beating each other up? Why? And I'm paraphrasing. That's not what the Bible says. I'm paraphrasing. And to which one replied, who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Are you going to kill me too? And it was at this point that Moses' life changed drastically. He had been found out. And after being raised as a prince, he was now a fugitive and on a run for his life since Pharaoh sought to have him killed. Fleeing into the wilderness, um, Moses came to Midian, to a well where seven ladies, I'm going to call them ladies, they were tending their father's flocks. And along came some shepherds and started chasing away their father's sheep and whatever else flock he had. But Moses came to the rescue. He was the hero. And after that, Jethro, who was the high priest of Midian, asked why, why his daughters were done so early. You came back too soon. Like, and they explained to him. They said, an Egyptian has rescued us and then the water of the flocks. And over time, Moses and Jethro formed a relationship. Um, Moses found a job. He was a shepherd now. And he also found a wife, which was Jethro's um, daughter, Sephorah. And he had two sons by him, Gershom and Eleazar. But meanwhile, back in Egypt, a new pharaoh came to power. And it was a more evil one. And the children of Israel cried unto God to be delivered. And God heard them and remembered the promise to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. And knew it was time to end the suffering. So I'm going to take a look now. If you have your Bibles and you want to turn with me to Exodus 3, and I'm going to paraphrase a lot of this. Um, so now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro's father-in-law, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the, mid, um, from the midst of the bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see a great sight. Why does this bush, why doesn't it burn? And so the Lord saw and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here am I. And he said, Do not draw near to this place. Take off your sandals, for the place you stand on is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because they're taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I will come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And bring them up for a land that is good, and it's a large land, and it's a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaan, 
Canaanites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have seen the oppression which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my children, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And here we find Moses. He's like, who am I? Who am I to go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, I will be with you. And this shall be a sign unto you that I have sent you. For when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And then Moses is like, who am I? Who am I? And he keeps going back and forth with God. And he goes, what is his name? What shall I say to the children of Israel? And God said unto them, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent you. And moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me. And this is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. Moses starts going back and forth again with God, like, I don't have the ability, I don't have the skills. I've got a speech impediment, like, I, I can't talk right, and this displeases this God, because when God calls you, He equips you. Amen. When He calls you, He equips you. You don't have to be equipped. You will learn. You will grow. And so Moses, we find, was 80 years old when God called him to lead his people. 80 years old. Can you imagine Sister Rose leading the children of Israel out of Egypt? <laughs> so, after convincing, Moses travels, Zipporah goes with him, Gershom and I don't think Eleazar was born yet, but they travel back to Egypt. And he gets together with his family, with Miriam and with Aaron, and Aaron was appointed his spokesman. God's like, okay. If you don't feel comfortable, I'll give you a spokesman. So he gave Moses a tool that he so richly desired. And it was even greater because it was his brother. So after convincing the elders of Israel that God had sent them, they went before Pharaoh, just as God has said that Pharaoh went and listened to them. And on that same day, he, Pharaoh sent a message to all of the taskmasters masters telling them to withhold the straw from the slaves that they had to go get it themselves to make bricks and they still had to make the same amount that you know since they were asking to go and sacrifice for three days in the wilderness that uh, they were being lazy so they didn't they had too much time on their hands so they need to work more more sweat and this this will teach them to lie was Pharaoh's attitude about it. So this went on for a couple days, and guess what? They fell behind in numbers. And the Israelite foreman went to Pharaoh to ask for straw, and he continued to say, Pharaoh's like, you're lazy. Make me more bricks. And as he left, he confronted Moses and said, you're giving them a reason to kill us. So Moses went back and protested with God. He was the mediator. He went back to God and was like, Okay, why are, you, why are you asking me to do this? You're, 
you sent me to deliver them, but yet we're getting more work. Why? So he's going back and forth with God. You know, and the Egyptians are they're getting more brutal and you just don't do anything. So I'm not sure where Moses um, he wrote a song. Actually he wrote several songs. Um, and one of them is Psalms 90, and I'm going to read it to you. But I, I just have a sneaking suspicion he wrote it while he was in Egypt trying to get his family free. And it, this is a prayer of Moses and the man of God. It says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you form the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man to destruction and say, Return, O my children of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it's the past, and like a watch in the night. You carry them away like a flood. They are all like sheep. In the morning they are like grass which grows up. In the morning it flourishes and grows up, in the evening it's cut down and withers. For we have been consumed by your anger, and by your wrath we are terrified. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. For all of our days have passed away in your wrath, we finish our years like sigh. The days of our lives are seventy years, and if by some reason of strength that they are eighty years, Yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? And have compassion on your servants. O satisfy us early with your mercy so that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, in the years which we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants, and your glory to their children, and let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands for our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So the Lord said to Moses, Now you see what I will do to Pharaoh, and he will feel the force of my strong hand, and he will force them to leave the land. I am Yahweh, the Lord. So we come upon the ten plagues. There is blood, frogs, lice, flies, disease on livestock, boils, hail, locusts, darkness. And finally, the death of the firstborn. Ten plagues, Egypt endured. I would, you know, after the first one, be like, see ya, have a great time, bye. <laughs> I, I could not imagine the stubbornness of Pharaoh. Um, and with the last one, the death of the firstborn, Moses instructed the Israelites specifically on what to do for this one. He wanted them to issue a blood covering. And although the Israelites had endured only the first three plagues, Moses had special instructions for them concerning this final plague, that they were to take a lamb without blemish, 
and keep it pinned up for four days. A lamb without blemish. The good type and shadow of Jesus. And we will continue on. Then they would roast the lamb, eat it with bitter herbs and their loins girded and their shoes on their feet. And the only way the Israelites could escape the coming of the judgment was to obey the Lord's words. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon your houses where ye are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you. It will, will not be upon you to destroy you. When I smite the land of Egypt, that's in Exodus 12 and 13. The Israelites were saved by the blood. The church, too, is also saved by the blood. And almost all things are not by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood is no remission. In his day, Moses celebrated the Passover. Today, Christ is our Passover. In at least the two senses, he was the sacrificial lamb that sent his blood, and he was the mighty God who passed over Egypt that night. So, they get up the next morning. Guess what? Pharaoh goes, leave. Go. I, I don't want you here. Go. Take, take it all. Just leave. So... Up to two and a half million people start packing. And what a day that probably was. Um, when my parents pastored in uh, Pontiac, uh, my mom and I used to teach this lesson together. And it was a fun lesson with the kids. Um, we found little gold stuff around our house and uh, we gathered it up. And we would march the children around, and they would go around and collect all, all the gold because they were, we were taking the spoils of Egypt. And we were stripping Egypt of its wealth. And then we would take uh, blue jello, was the Red Sea, and we'd give a little goldfish if they wanted to put it in. Um, so, but guess what? Pharaoh changed his mind. He's like, wait a minute. I let all these people go. Who is going to build my city? I let everybody go. So he changes his mind. And he goes, you know what? I'm, I want to kill all of them. For all what has happened, I'm going to kill them. So um, the, Isra the Israelites were at the Red Sea. They were kind of relaxing after probably a couple days of very, very long traveling. And after they moved um, there... They could hear the rumblings of chari chariots and horses. Now I have no doubt that fear probably gripped them at that that moment. People were probably like, Moses, Moses, what are we going to do? Did you just bring us here in the wilderness to die? Like, what are you going to do? And Moses goes back to God. And um, God puts a pillar of fire between the Israelites and the Egyptians. And Moses stretched forth his hand in the Red Sea parts. And I can only imagine the shock on their face. How many of you have been to an ocean before? I love the ocean. My husband doesn't get why I love the ocean because I can't swim. But I love the ocean. Um, <laughs> so 
I can only imagine the look on their faces of, let's say, this Pacific Ocean, it just parts. And there's dry ground for them to walk on. And all of them, they start running. They probably start running. They probably start walking. I mean, I would think you're wanting to get um, away from the Egyptians as fast as you can, so you're probably running. Um, so they all get across. The pillar of fire uh, disseminates, and Pharaoh and his chariots, they start racing after them. And Moses stretched forth his hands, and God just closes the waters, killing all of the Egyptians. So after that, after they moved from the Red Sea, they rejoiced for liberation. But guess what? They were humans. They also grumbled, and they complained. And guess what? They even disobeyed God's instructions. They asked for food and for water, and guess what? Yahweh provided manna and quail. And for water, God told Moses to strike a rock, and it produced water. So Moses had to have a type A personality. Had to. Because he tried to do everything himself. I can relate to this, because I tried to do everything myself. Um, you know, he would sit and he would listen to everybody's complaints, everybody's squabbles. And finally, his father-in-law says, you cannot do this alone. You need help. You need to divide. You need to set men in charge and then have them come back to you, kind of like a council. And they take care of it. You talk to God. And he obeyed. But it took them two months to get to Mount Sinai, walking, no cars whatsoever. No air conditioning, and I'm guessing it's very hot over there. Am I right? Yeah, yeah, okay. And so, two months of walking, just walking in the wilderness, in the desert. God's providing food, but I have to admit, I would probably even complain. I'd probably be like, I'm hot, I'm tired, I don't want to walk anymore. But for a period of time, Moses went back and forth talking to God. And then back to the people. He climbed the mountain. When he climbed the mountain, he was re representing the Israelites before God. And when he was descending, he was re representing God to the people. Then one day, Moses went up the mountain and he spent 40 days with God. During this time, Moses gave uh, God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, which are, I shall not have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor thy father and thy mother. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Or his wife. Or his manservant. Or his maidservant. Nor his ox. And anything else that is the neighbor's. So the Ten Commandments, they were a summary of an agreement. The covenant that God made with Israel at Mount Sinai. Israel agreed to keep, obey the terms of this agreement. And God agreed to be their God and King. To bless, protect, and provide for them. Here is where we find that God gave Moses 
plans for the Ark of the Covenant. Plans for the table, the lampstand, the tabernacle, burnt offerings, courtyard, light of the tabernacle, clothing for the priest. Anybody ever heard of a bell and a pomegranate? Bell and a pomegranate? Bell and a pomegranate. The dedication of the priest. Plans of the incense altar. Money for the tabernacle. Plans after plans. The anointing oil, the incense, everything God gave to Moses. But during this time, guess what? The people grew restless. And they asked Aaron to make them an idol. So he, he told them, get everything gold and bring it to me. And he did. They melted it down and molded it into the shape of a calf. And when they saw it, they said, O oh, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Aaron saw how excited the folks were and told them that the next day would be the festival of the Lord. So they got up the next morning. They offered burnt offerings and sacrifices and peace offerings. And then they feasted and they started drinking and celebrating. And they were not doing good things. And at this time, guess what? Yahweh, being I am that I am, told Moses that the people have, that he had brought out of the land of Egypt had forgotten who they were and had corrupted themselves. And God wanted to destroy them. But Moses, being the mediator, said, okay, let's remember your promise to them, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were going to flourish and everything. God kind of was like, okay, okay, you're right. So after that, God changed his mind. But then when Moses got back to camp, he saw for himself. And he was burned with anger to see what was happening. I can only imagine. You walk for a long time delivering these people out of the land of Egypt. And here they are just. They're, instead of being grateful and thankful, they're, they're not thankful anymore. They have forgotten who they were. So he threw the tablets to the ground, smashing them. And then he burned the calf that they had built, grounded it into powder, and threw it into the water, and he made them drink it. And he talked with Aaron, and he was like, Aaron, what happened? Why did you do this? And Aaron was like, you know, it just kind of happened. And it just appeared. I can only imagine saying that to your brother, saying, well, it just appeared. No, you've had hand in building it. Like, why? What's your reasoning behind this? And Moses shouted, asking, who was on the Lord's side to gather around him? And all of the Levites did. And he instructed them to take up swords and to kill everyone in the camp that were not on the Lord's side. They obeyed, and that day about 3,000 people died because they were not on the Lord's side. They had forgotten who they were. So, and here we find that Moses goes back up to the mountain and he's pleading with God again. He told them what happened and asked the Lord to forgive them and not to erase his name from record that you that he had written. And God said, no, instead I'm going to erase the names of those who had sinned against me. 
Then God sent a plague against them who worshipped the golden calf. Forty years as their leader, Moses. Did he mess up? Absolutely. He was human. He was human. He messed up. Um, one instance was, you know, striking a rock instead of speaking to it like God had asked him to do. Now, granted, he was probably aggravated because the Israelites were probably like, we want water, and he's probably sick of hearing grumbling and complaining, and he probably just got mad. Who knows? Um, but, and then sometimes Moses was unwilling to obey even God's command. And because of this, because of his anger issues, and he was not allowed to enter the promised land, but he got to see it. He's one of the few people that God saw, that saw God face to face. He was buried by God. God was with Moses till the very end, burying him in secret. Moses lived to be 120 years old and was completely healthy. His eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. And that says it in Deuteronomy 34.7. The people grieved 30 days for him until God's like, you need to stop and had instructed Joshua to take the leadership position. And in 30, uh, Deuteronomy 34, it says, And Moses, the servant of God, died there in Moab. As the Lord has said, he buried him in Moab, in the valley opposite of Bethphor. But to this day, no one knows where his grave is. But Michael, Archangel Michael, and the devil fought over Moses' body. You can find that in Jude 1 9. Moses stood at the edge of the promised land. He couldn't see it. He could, he could see it, but he couldn't enter it. Yet Moses died full of hope for what he could witness. It's kind of similar for us. We're standing at the edge of the promised land. Time's wrapping up. Heaven is almost here. And I, I can't wait, but we're not quite there yet. God has asked us to do a work. We're here, we're wandering in this life, knowing that we are in this world, but we are not of this world. God has sent us into this world to serve Him while we await His return and to get as many people as we can inside the basket, inside the hope. So, so what, you may be asking, how does this character study apply to me? Very simple. Moses shows us that you don't have to be a per perfect person to be a follower of Christ. Moses was human. He made mistakes. Guess what? We make mistakes. Moses had a temper. He killed someone. He argued with God. Will we, will we mess up? Absolutely. Human. Will we have doubts? You can bet it. However, when you put all of your trust in Jesus, he will lead and guide you through every situation that life throws at you. So some types and shadows that we can see between Moses and Jesus. Both Moses and Christ were referred to as a servant, prophet, priest, judge, shepherd, intercessor, and mediator. Both were threatened by earthly rulers when they were babies. And both rejected riches of the world to deliver people from captivity. 
Many events in, Mo in Moses' life are useful for the instruction and edification of the church. Like Moses, the church can learn that God knows what he's doing and that Christians, Christians, followers of Christ, people who are applying themselves, trying to be more like Christ, should learn to follow the will of God instead of trying to rush God's timetable. I think, I know I've been guilty of trying to rush God's timetable. Like, okay, let's get going. Like, what are you thinking? And God's like, slow down. I have a purpose. I have a plan. And in that purpose, he's allowing you to grow. So here are some additional comparisons. During the time of Moses, Pharaoh ordered a mass killing of every Hebrew baby under the age of two. During the time of Jesus, King Herod ordered a mass killing of every Hebrew baby under two. Moses came up out of Egypt to redeem his people. Jesus, through, uh, though he was born in Bethlehem at a young age, fled with his family to Egypt. And he stayed there till his youth to avoid Herod's persecution. Jesus, too, like Moses, came up out of Egypt to redeem the world. Moses was born without shelter, laid in a straw thatched basket, floating down the Nile River, was picked up by Egyptian royalty. Jesus, too, was born without shelter. He laid into a straw-filled stable and was visited by royalty, the three wise men. Moses grew up in a palace, palace of Pharaoh, the highest place of esteem in his culture. And Jesus grew up in the synagogues of Jerusalem, the highest place of esteem in his culture. Moses and Jesus were both Hebrew Levites. Moses brought the Israelites out of slavery to Egypt. Jesus brought the Israelites and the world out of slavery. And Moses received the Ten Commandments from God on Mount Sinai. And Jesus reinterpreted the Ten Commandments from God in his Sermon on the Mount. Moses carried the law and pointed to the gospel, and Jesus fulfilled it, and he is the gospel. The Israelites experienced 400 years of bondage in Egypt until Moses was born, and then came to rescue them. And the nation of Israel experienced 400 dark years of silence from God until Jesus was born and he came to save them. Moses, he went through the wilderness and was doubtful to God before he began his ministry to redeem the Israelites. And Jesus, he went through the wilderness and was tempted by Satan before he could begin his ministry to redeem the world. Moses was royalty in Egypt, but he left his position of power to serve and to save the enslaved people. Jesus was royalty in heaven, but he left his position of power to serve and to save the world. Moses was inconceivably both royal and a slave at the same time. Being a prince, but also being a Hebrew, Jesus is inconceivably both God and man at the same time. It's all in him, the song says. Being son of God, he's the man of God, he is God, he is Jesus, he is Yahweh. 
And God spoke to Moses through a bush that was on fire, but it was not consumed. And God speaks to us through Jesus' body on a tree that took the fire of God's wrath, but he was not consumed. Moses parted the Red Sea, and Jesus calmed the Sea of Galilee. Moses chose 12 spies to check out the Promised Land. There's an awesome song about that. Ten were bad and two were good. Anyway, that's a kid's song. Sorry, children of minister, can't help it. And he sent them <laughs> to proclaim the, you know, how good the promised land was. Um, and then Jesus chose 12 disciples and sent them to proclaim the truth and the promise of a better land. Moses pleaded that God would Feed, that God would feed thousands of Israelites so they wouldn't die in the desert. There was a study done, and I wish I could have found it, of how many semi-trucks and water trucks it took to feed the Israelites on a day-to-day -day basis. I find those numbers. It will blow your mind how much God did for them. He, God answered their prayer and provided more manna and quail from heaven than they could ever possibly eat. In fact, there were loads upon loads of leftovers. Jesus pleaded that God would feed thousands of followers so that they wouldn't starve on the countryside. God answered his prayer, and Jesus provided more bread and fish than they could possibly eat. In fact, there were baskets upon baskets of leftovers. God's covenant was first given to Moses. God's covenant is finalized in Jesus. Moses is the author of the law, and Jesus is the author of our faith. Moses was the first mediator, and Jesus is the final mediator. Moses carried the Ark of the Covenant and the makeshift tabernacle, which contained the presence of God. Jesus is the presence of God. And it is not limited to four walls or a holy place. I'm thankful for a veil that was rent in half so we can experience the presence of God. Moses held up a pole with a snake on it. Not everyone, and everyone who looked upon it would be saved from their deadly snake bites. Again, I have no desire to go to the desert because the snakes, I hate snakes. Hate snakes. But similarly, Jesus was held up on a cross, and everyone who looks upon it shall be saved from sin and the serpent's sting of death. Moses first initiated the Passover lamb to absorb the wrath of God, and Jesus is the final and ultimate Passover lamb who fully absorbed the wrath of God for sin once and for all. The Passover lamb of Moses was simply a shadow of the coming of the Passover lamb of Christ. Moses turned water, turned water into blood, and Jesus turned water into wine. Moses appropriated the law, but Jesus accomplished the law. Moses did not marry a full Jew, but actually a non-Jew who became grafted into the heritage of Israel. Jesus will marry the church, who is not full of Jews. It's many cultures. But we will all be grafted into the saving heritage of Israel. We will become adopted. Moses led his people to the promised land, 
but he didn't get to go into it. Jesus leads his people to a better promised land. And one day he will usher us into the eternal, ultimate promised land, heaven. While the Israelites were dying of thirst in the desert, Moses struck a rock, got in trouble, and from the blow it spewed water to quench their thirst. But similarly, while we are dying of spiritual thirst in the desert, of spiritual annihilation from God, God struck a better rock for our sins, Jesus. And from the blow, it spews fountains of living water to quench our thirst of spiritual annihilation from God. Moses was the vessel of the law, and Jesus crucified was the vessel of grace. And that is the most.